Hi, everybody. It's Defend Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. It's the 8th of August, 2010. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful and splendiferous week. And uh, what's new? Well, uh, last call for the barbecue, uh, which is at the beginning of next month, Labor Day weekend, uh, at Mississauga, Ontario. You can go to emiando.com forward slash FDRBBQ2010. We are looking at some activities. Uh, we're going to perhaps rent a uh, karaoke room and host. And uh, also we were thinking perhaps that on Sunday it might be fun and worthwhile to go to Canada's Wonderland, which is a truly stupendous and staggering park where you may get the edifying spectacle of watching me shriek like a little girl and perhaps soil myself. And that's just going up the relatively fast escalator. Let's not even imagine what happens on the roller coasters of death. So I hope that you will be able to come and join our little Galt Sculch weekend. Uh, it is a great deal of fun and uh, probably uh, a social setting unlike you uh, have ever experienced before because uh, you don't have to hide anything. You can be who you are. Let your atheist dongles hang hang down and your agnostic dongles uh, not so much. Anyway, I hope that uh, you had a great week. There's nothing particularly new and exciting other than to say I have a, another speaking engagement which is early December in Arizona. And uh, I will be flying down for that. Not to forget that uh, in uh, September, I think it's the 6th, I will be speaking in Toronto. And of course, October the 6th, is it no, October the 9th, I will be speaking in Philadelphia. And the next week, I will be speaking in California. So I am becoming a high-velocity social butterfly, touching down here and there and throwing my little fairy dust of wisdom into the air and just seeing who is with the sneezing. If you get a chance, if you could pump the um, video that I uh, completed, or rather that I did a little bit of work on, and then the Think Twice Productions, Inc. did an enormous amount of work on, and thank you so much to the guys over there. Uh, if you could uh, pimp it around a little bit, it's called The Sunset of Statism. You can find it on YouTube, and if you could share it and dig it, I would really appreciate it. Uh, it is, I think, a very good introduction to the non-aggression principle and why voluntarism is so good. So uh, I hope that you will do that. And other than that, uh, things are great up here. Isabella is starting to count uh, a little randomly. Uh, well, not randomly, but a little out of sequence. So she sees things and she starts stabbing her fingers at them and going, one, three, two, uh, and very emphatically uh, doing a, uh, a triangle, a triangulation on the actual correct numbers, which is quite quite exciting. And uh, she's really enjoying gymnastics, and uh, she's just 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 a, a delight. She's starting to put some words together: data, smell, you know, the usual things that a child of that age would get uh, when pressed up against my armpit. And uh, I did see uh, a film which I just wanted to mention. Uh, it's called "The Girl with the Dragon uh, Tattoo," and uh, it was uh, good, not great. I generally find television better than movies these days, but what I did find interesting. Uh, this is no spoilers here, but what I did find interesting is that the people who've been through abuse were very clear on the moral lines of personal responsibility, and the people who hadn't been through abuse were much more prone to forgiveness and, quote, understanding, which I thought was interesting. And if you watch the film, we'll provide, I think, some food for thought that is worth mulling over the relationship between having been victimized and having very clear moral lines and not having been victimized and having more relativistic moral lines. I think it's an interesting topic, and we can talk about that more another time. But uh, it's a recommended film. I think uh, it's uh, it's subtitled, uh, I guess, unless you do speak. I think it's Swedish. Uh, 
and uh, interesting. The acting is very good. It's really, you know, it's really nice to see actors you don't know. Uh, you know, if you, if you see act, you know, see Jack Nicholson, you're like, hey, Jack Nicholson's doing a really great job of playing this character, uh, or Jim Carrey, or uh, whoever, Steve Carell. But to see to see actors you don't know, uh, but which you see in foreign, it's one of the great things about watching foreign films is that you get to actually relate to the characters as characters rather than uh, actually relating to them as actors that you know and like. So I hope that uh, you'll get a chance to watch that. It's it's violent at times, for sure, and I definitely had to fast forward uh, a few times, but uh, it's it's got a good plot, it's well-paced, and the acting, especially the woman who plays the lead heroine, she is uh, uh, very good, uh, chilling. And uh, they also don't, uh, uh, you know, they really have that bomb-in-the-brain stuff down perfectly and the writer as far as i understand it was a a chain smoking heavy drinker and so on but they really do have the bomb in the brain stuff down in that uh, people end up uh, the way they are due to very specific childhood circumstances and they don't pull any punches with that stuff Uh, people don't just end up you know with lots of tattoos and piercings there are very specific things that lead them that way which we know a lot about but uh, i hope that it's going to start to permeate into the um into the general culture all right, so uh, that is uh, that's it for my <laughs> stellar and well thought well thought out uh, introduction. Uh, I'm just releasing a new video called "The Salvation of Philosophy Part One," in which I'm starting to discuss self-deathdating statements, which is something that I'm very keen on and have been, of course, for uh, since the beginning of Free Domain Radio, because I think it's something that gives philosophy some you know some killer packs and six packs and gets it to walk up and down the beach without having sand kicked in its face by relativism, religion, postmodernism, and all the other mental gooey spider webs that clog up the human neurons. So I hope that you will check that out. I'll publish that after the show. Other than that, it's your show, my friends, my charming companions. Uh, So if you have questions, please, with the unmute and the barking of orders, and I will stand to attention. I just have one announcement. Uh, Oh, yes. Sorry. Go ahead. not, not to date the show too much, but um, we have one room in our block uh, for the group rates for, for you know, the, the barbecue coming up. Um, so, you know, first come, first serve, you know, just pop on to the general messages forum, general information forum, and you'll see the FDR BBQ 2010 group rates thread. Um, just, you know, find my email and send it off and I'll get you on. Hello, Steph. Uh, hi, go ahead. Hi. Uh, hey, a uh, long time to talk. Good to talk to you again. Um, I uh, had a question. Uh, well, I guess the main point I want to bring up, uh, something recently kind of uh, happened to me in my life that uh, kind of threw my whole pattern for a loop. Um, I uh, recently found out my transmission on my car went out, and so it's going to cost me like a whole bunch of money that I don't have to fix it. And uh, the problem with that is that uh, my job that I had uh, relied on me having transportation to uh, to work. And, uh, you know, I can't, uh, my parents don't have money to give me or anything like that. And I don't really want money from anybody else to fix it. And so I'm kind of faced with a decision right now about uh, what I'm going to do as far as uh, if I'm going to stay in, in the city I'm living in or if I'm going to move uh, or if I'm, you know, I mean, my dad offered me for to go back and live with him, but I don't want to do that. 
And uh, I'm kind of at a, a crossroads where when things happen to me, uh, when when I run into a stint of bad luck, which I've kind of had for a few weeks now, uh, just never seems to end, when I'm constantly trying to kind of uh, better myself and uh, work and, you know, kind of build credit and just uh, kind of make it in our society, uh, when things go wrong that are completely out of my control, uh, there's another side of me that kind of pops in, you know, kind of talking in the back of my mind saying like, you know, why do you even uh, attempt to do all this stuff? Why do you even uh, keep working at it so hard? And, uh, you know, because I, 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 I'm happy with, with less, you know, I, uh, I could be okay without having a lot of money or not making a lot of money in my life. And I have other friends that want me to kind of like, join them sort of like living on the road uh going from like you know sort of commune to commune type situations and things like that and i'm okay with that but uh in the long term i have problems with it i don't want to have medical issues and not have any kind of uh, economic status and uh i'm also kind of concerned because i'm wondering about uh your thoughts on the future of uh of the world as far as because the economy everything i keep seeing about it seems like it's just getting worse as opposed to getting better and i'm wondering if someone that's uh, my age i'm pretty young i'm 22 uh if it's a worthwhile investment for me to try and build credit and try to uh make it uh in in the current system uh, those are all great questions, uh, and if it's any consolation, I just had to drop three thousand dollars on my car because yeah. the brakes, the brakes were basically three peanut butter cups clamping onto the wheel with a piece of string. So uh, and it's, and I'm still driving around without any air conditioning in forty degree weather because it's seventeen hundred bucks to get new air conditioning. So I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. So if it's any consolation, cars do occasionally run you over, and uh, my car, <laughs> yeah. of course, is, is is almost thirteen years old. So it's uh, it's starting to show its age, and uh, uh, I sort of feel like you know band aids and duct tape is going to be the, the future of its uh, fuselage. But so I, I sympathize and I understand it's it's rough. You just um, I mean this shit happens, right? But before we get into that, I, I wanted to dip back into something that you uh, you talked about. You said luck. I'd like to I'd like to sort of explore if you don't mind uh, oh, yes. what it is that you mean when you talk about bad luck or good luck. Um. Well, I don't think I necessarily believe in some kind of a ethereal luck that, you know, like, like I'm destined to have bad luck or anything like that. I suppose, I, yeah, I'm not a determinist. I don't think that uh, it uh, it happened to me just because I, you know, I deserved it or something like that. Uh, I suppose I just use the term loosely. Uh, but it, I suppose... It does feel like it's a pretty big turning point. I mean, I just have to make because I'm not going to be able to afford to live right here where I am right now. I mean, unless I, you know, get a job within walking distance or something, uh, which is, you know, so much worse than what I was doing because I was making a lot of money doing what I was doing. All right, sorry, I don't want to get into too many details. I want to get oh, sorry, sorry, the yeah. philosophy show, right? Not a yes, my list yes, of but, uh, shows, so yes, let's go back okay. to the general because you used the term luck, and I just, I just really wanted to. Uh, to understand what you what you meant by that, I mean, I have my own thoughts about luck or whatever, but uh, I wanted to sort of understand what you mean when you say uh, bad luck. Um, when something out of your control happens to you, I suppose that would be bad luck. When something bad happens to you that was out of your control, yeah. 
Okay, but uh, luck, uh, luck by its very nature indicates pattern, right? I'm not sure. I know what you mean. Well, I think I think I think that the word luck uh, indicates some sort of some sort of pattern, right? So if people think they're unlucky or they're you know I'm going through a phase of the, lots of bad things happening, uh, we we have okay. I think we have the urge as conceptual beings we try to put rules in, around everything. We try to put patterns on everything. If you've ever sort of okay. sat on a, a, a lay down in a meadow in the summer and look at the clouds. The first thing that you do when you look at clouds is your brain tries to turn it into something, you know, like that's an eel riding a unicorn kind of thing, right? right. Uh, so we, we always try to see patterns. And uh, I, I don't know, for myself, I have to fight these these patterns sometimes, you know, when it feels like uh, you just, you, you, you're in the room financially with Mike Tyson, uh, you know, in terms of things just hit you out of nowhere, like bam, didn't get a big tax grant or bam, you know, had to repair this uh, in my house or bam, uh, had to repair this on my car or bam, uh, had to go to the doctor and get this uh, prescription, which was expensive. And sometimes it just feels like those costs just kind of gang up on you and pummel the living shit out of you, you know, right. like you've crossed the crypts or something like that. And I, have, I don't know about you, I have to fight that feeling like, you know, bracing myself for what's next, if that makes any sense. Like, oh, I don't even want to go out of the house in case I stub yes. my toe and have to have... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that, that can really, really happen where there's just this rolling clusterfuck of endless expenses. I don't know about you, but sometimes it just feels like I don't even want to get out of bed because it's like, oh my God, what is going to... You know, what, what surprise expense is going to show up now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, of course. I mean, I can't even. Where, where am I going to go? I mean, when I would get out of bed, I would get out of bed and go to work. And now I'm like, uh, uh, just kind of waiting around. Like, well, I've got to make a decision now. I've got to do something. I've got to go somewhere. Right. So, so the, the, just as far as luck goes, I think it's really important to understand. And I, I remind myself of this, right? So, you know, my car just bit me in the ass with a lot of costs. But then I think, well, I really haven't put any money into the car. Over the past five years, other than, you know, oil changes, and I think I bought a new pair of tires or something, right? And so what happens is we don't notice the things that are going well, and we notice the things that are going badly. And and that actually makes sense. I mean, that's sort of right. what we need to focus on, right? I mean, yes. uh, if, if you're going hunting, you want to focus on the one thing you're hunting, not the everything else that you're not hunting. And if a boulder is coming down the hill, uh, you want to really focus on that one boulder uh, and not on everything else. So we do biologically have a drive towards focusing on the negative because that's really how our brains are wired right that's uh, what you have to deal with yeah yeah if, if you have a toothache you don't notice that your knee feels fine right you, you just really yes. zero in on the <laughs> negatives and 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 i think that's an important thing to remember uh, that we we and this is i don't think this is a a self-esteem issue or even a reality issue it's just a, a biological issue uh, that uh, we we generally tend to focus on that which is problematic and negative and that's, that's an undertow that we all face in life. And what we need to do is to remember to focus on the things that are going well and to remind ourselves that the fate gods are not lining up their bow and arrows to puncture our eyeballs over and over again. Sometimes it just feels a little bit like that. So I just I wanted yes. to point that out just before, before we move on. And just to say, like, I think you have it. Uh, I certainly, I think just about everyone alive struggles with that, with that problem is focusing on uh, and I find it, I genuinely feel better, right? So I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, it's 2,500 bucks on brakes, and then I got to get a bunch of stuff replaced, like the the ducts and all that, uh, the, 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 um, 
I don't know what the hell they're called, the tubes that go from the, in the ducts. I don't want to get too technical. And it's like, oh, man. And then I think, well, yeah, but, you know, five, seven years, I really haven't dropped any money into the car, so I can focus. And I actually, I feel a weight lifting from me. If I just think of it, it's neutral, and then I go into the negatives, then I feel bad. But if I remember all the positives and then look at the negatives as a dip in a rising line, then I genuinely feel better. So I just sort of would remind you that, uh, you know, just just to remember all of the good things rather than just focus on. And that's a, it's a it's a cheesy thing to say, but I just wanted to. Right. Uh, another weird thing about it, uh, and this is just uh, a kind of a strange, it's strange. It's a strange feeling about it because it is, it is a bad situation. I mean, I, I really liked my car and uh, I'm not going to have it really. And uh, at the same time, uh, when things get bad enough to where you really are powerless, or at least the way I feel anyway right now. I'm powerless to do anything as far as just getting back to where I was anyway. In a way, I feel kind of better because it's it's almost like a, a, a responsibility is lifted off me. Like I become a victim and now it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, people can feel bad for me now. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm Making sense no, it makes sense. Like so, so you know, the, the Christians will sing "Jesus take the wheel," and the atheists will sit in the back seat saying, "Satan's got the wheel." I might as well just have a nap. And uh, that <laughs> certainly, that certainly does happen. There is, a, and and I think that's actually a sensible thing to do sometimes, right? Which is just to say, you know, there's just such a shitstorm going on that I'm not going to try and angle my umbrella. I'm just going to throw my arms wide and get covered. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's like I'm, I'm I'm sick and tired of fighting this shitstorm. Maybe I'll still close my mouth and put some swimming plugs on my nose, uh, and I'm certainly going to shut my eyes but I'm not going to try and shield myself. And, and that happens, I think, um, sometimes if you're out and it's raining, like you, you get an umbrella and you're trying to keep dry. Yes. And then after a while, it's, you know, if it's too windy or you, you just, it's just like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to shut the umbrella and, you know, you, you, you do the, the, the clouds can just peel over me as much as they want because there's no escape right. this car wash, right? <laughs> so I think, I think that there is a certain letting go when things snowball in that sense uh, uh, that, that I think is sort of wise because, you, you know, Stress occurs when we when we don't control what we could control, then we start to feel depressed. But when we try to control what we can't control, then we start to feel anxious. And I always yeah. try to. It, it's sort of like surfing. You have to try and find that middle ground. And there's no. This that's more of the art of living than the ethics of of virtue or whatever. And it's a very important aspect right. of philosophy, right? Uh, uh, and uh, so I think I think you're right. You know, give give it up when it's all going too bad to control. <laughs> but remember that, you know, reasserting control is, is important. Now, as far as your other question goes about what are we going to do? Uh, you know, the society is, is creaking and groaning, uh, bursting apart of the seams. The uh, collapse seems relatively close, uh, or at least a, a fundamental change in, in the way things are being done. Yes. I think... Uh, and I totally, I totally know what you mean. I totally know what you mean. I have, I have sort of two minds about it. And, and I'm aware that giving advice in the first instance is not necessarily good advice. I'm going to give it anyway. Uh, and, and you can tell me whether it's good advice or not. Okay. Uh, I just don't want to be, you know, the guy who's seven feet tall saying to everyone, you should be a basketball player, right? Because I have particular skills in communication and philosophy and so on. And so for me, it was much more important to do philosophy than it was to produce another great piece of software or to, to land another big sale uh, in my field or to come out with uh, some great new marketing campaign or something like that. Yeah. So for me, uh, it was like, you know, what, what's more important for the world? Uh, and I think given my particular skill sets, I focus, I'm focusing on uh, 
producing the kind of material that I, is genuinely going to help the world rather than producing software, which is going to help the world, but not in any fundamental or long-lasting way. You know, the thing about software is it's got the, you know, it's got the attention span of a ferret on a double espresso, right? Today it's hot, tomorrow it's, it's history, right? So I really wanted to, to produce something that was of value. And I also felt that if I had these skills, that it was important for me to apply them uh, to, to making the world a better place. So if there's something that you can do in the realm of philosophy or, or libertarianism or the, the freedom uh, movement or, or you know, waking people up to the coercive nature of a state of society, you know, whatever it is that, that you have a passion for, if you have skill sets in that, uh, I think that it's important. I, you know, there's no positive unchosen obligations. I, I absolutely accept that. Uh, but that is a philosophical principle that is very important when it comes to opposing statism. Uh, if you walk past a, a pond where a kid is drowning and you happen to be an Olympic swimmer, it's true there are no unchosen positive obligations. You don't have to go in and save him, but we all know that we would. We all know yeah. that everybody would, right? So, so you don't have to, of course, but I think if you have skills in that way, um, focus on on developing those skills of of communication of clarity of uh, passion of whatever it is that you can get to bring philosophy uh, or, or freedom to people i think that's a good thing and if that has to be as it was for me free and then part-time and then full-time then you can do that progression but it will make whatever else you do bearable so to speak because and it will also make your uh your fear of the future will diminish to the degree with which you are helping the present avoid that future. So, uh, right. so I think, that's, I think that's, that's really important. If you don't happen to have particular skill sets that way, or if you just don't like it for whatever reason, then um, I, I, think, I think you have to live like the world is not going to collapse, right? Because uh, it, may, it may not. Um, obviously, I think that the, the likelihood is. But the only thing that's going to, quote, collapse it's not bridges, it's not cars, it's not ocean liners aren't going to crack in two and fall into the sea, planes aren't going to fall out of the sky. What's going to change is a concept, is an idea called the state, called uh, justified violence. What fundamentally is going to change is philosophical, right? So, so if, if we imagine the government was gone tomorrow, all the buildings would still be standing, all the schools would still be scanning. If they end a public school, it doesn't mean that the schools fall down and the teachers all explode, right? It just means that there's a different configuration in people's minds. But the resources that have existed are all still going to be there. So if there is a change in currency, if there is a change in, in our conception of social organization, all of the resources are still going to be there, right? So the world is not going to collapse. Ideas in people's minds are going to collapse. I hope, I hope, of course, that they're not going to be replaced by worse ideas. But there's no change in the external world when a human being changes his or her mind in that moment. It just means that, right, he has changed his mind or she has changed her mind. That's what's going to fundamentally collapse. Now, hopefully, it's not going to be freedom, the concept of freedom that's going to collapse in people's minds, because that will in the long run have an effect on everyone. Hopefully, it's going to be the idea that violence works, that's going to collapse in people's minds. And of course, many people are doing as much as they can, myself included, to ensure that people are going to identify the correct reason for things not working anymore. But well, the world is not going to collapse. So, so I would act as if 
you know, the future is stable. You're, you're crossing a bridge called the future. The future, uh, the bridge is not going to collapse. I guarantee you that. The, the, the earth is not going to fall into the sun. The, you know, buildings aren't going to all start collapsing the, the, the moment that something changes. But there will be a change in people's thinking. And that is something to be aware of. But I would definitely plan with confidence for the future. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, now, uh, to what you were saying about uh, helping the freedom movement along and things like that, I can I can tell you this that uh, when I was growing up, you know, I got a lot of uh, pressure from my family. Or I say the word pressure. I suppose that's what it was. Um, I, I felt the expectations of my family to uh, to do something significant with my life, right? Not not just be. Uh, a drifter or, or something or, or just working as a waiter my whole life. There's not that there's anything wrong with that, but just because a long time, for a long time, that was what they kind of expected of me. They were like, you're talented, you're good looking, you can do this, you can be great, blah, 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 blah. And so sorry, there's a part of me. Sorry, you're good looking? I'm sorry. Oh, that's <laughs> the standard? Okay, just wondering. Well, Go on. Yeah, you know. Um, and so there's a part of me that is terrified of being a, a really uh, important person or, or being a person of substance. There is a, there is a, as though, like, I'm afraid to actually uh, live a principled life and actually try and tell people to be responsible. And so, because uh, it's a, I guess I, I just don't. I don't know that I have the courage to do it. Uh, I'd like oh, wait, to. Wait, 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 wait! No, 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 no! You, you, you veered off at the end there. I was, I'm with you, and then you, you went off in the ditch, right? So you're talking about pressure and expectations for living a life of whatever substance or whatever, right? Yes, yes. And then you started talking about. So you talk about external influences, and then you just started talking about internal things with no transition. Like suddenly it was all about you, and I just don't have the courage, right? But you're starting me with these external influences, which I think are very important. They're not the whole deal, but they're very important, right? But you then made this transition to it's just me. I lack the courage, and so on, with no reference to these external conditions. Right. So well, help okay. me through that uh, transition. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm making excuses. I mean, I, I understand that. I'm. I guess I'm wondering if the external influences. Uh, in a way, have cre like uh, caused me to have sort of a passive aggressive. Uh, uh, sort of a passive aggressive way of, of not being who I really want to be of sort of, uh, of not living my life, uh, the way that, uh, I would, I would see it being, I don't know. I'm sorry. It's a, it's kind of a, well, thing. if I can cut through the fog and, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, but, but if you've, if your parents gave you this expectation of a big life or a, me, a, a powerful life or a life of something or other, then if you weren't on board with that, right, if your parents were kind of pulling you behind the ambition truck, <laughs> right, well, it sped up on hopefully not a gravel road, but, but if, th then you're going to fight that, right? Right, exactly. That's what right. I mean. If you're, if you're not enrolled in, like, it, it, there's no such thing as a pull economy in terms of ambition. Or people can't pull you in the wake of, of ambition. It, it never works. It's always going to self-destruct in some manner or another, right? 
And so if you are not, if you don't own your own motivation and your own ambition, if it's not yours, if it's not organic, that doesn't mean that other people can't help you clarify it. But if it's not fundamentally your motive power, you know, then you're just going to be, you know, feeling this, this urgency that's been implanted in you. And then there's this resistance, which you don't want to do it. And then you feel like, well, but I should, because I have all these abilities and, but I don't really want to because I never owned it. And it's other people's expectations. And right. You just go round and round these, this merry-go-round, right? Right. And the only thing that you can do, in my opinion, is you have to, and it's the easiest said than done, right? There's no, there's no magic spell, but you have to throw away the expectations of other people. Right. <sighs> if, if I'm, you know, you have to start from a blank slate. Because right? you're not here to please anyone, right? You're not here to please anyone. You're not here to fulfill anybody else's ambitions. You are not here to satisfy other people. You're not here to fill the holes in their personalities. You're not here to make up for their mistakes. You are not here to make them proud. You're not here to give them a higher status. You're not even here to piss them off, <laughs> if that's your preference. You're not right. here to fulfill the needs of one single other soul in the universe. No matter how much they may need it, no matter how much they may want it, that is not in the job description called having a heartbeat. Your future, your soul, your satisfaction, right? The meat of the meal called your life is yours to hunt, is yours to define, is yours to choose, is yours to achieve. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, and I know there's nothing original in what I'm saying, but I think it's something we all need to be reminded of. Um, another thing that uh, I think is kind of... Wait, related, wait, 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 uh, wait. <laughs> this is charging off somewhere else, right? This, 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 was it meaningless what I said? Does it, uh, uh, well, it's, it's not... No, it wasn't meaningless. Um, but uh, I mean, I know that. I mean, it's just uh... <laughs> And the reason that I'm saying that is, is I just felt for a moment there that you weren't listening to me, and what that usually means is that you don't think I'm listening to you, and that's perfectly fair if that's the case, right? I just think you were trying to communicate something to me there about not feeling listened to, because you went on as if I hadn't spoken. Hmm. It's not a criticism. I'm just, I'm just pointing it out. Do you feel that I'm missing your, your issues entirely? Mm. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't think that, uh, I'm not even sure I'm clear on what it is exactly. Uh, so I, I suppose that, because I mean, that what you just said is, is true, um, but I've definitely, what's weird about it, I suppose, in my situation is that uh, I have family members that have said those same, same things to me, but at the same time, those are the same people that I feel like have the expectations, <sighs> which is confusing. Oh, so they say, you're not here to please us, but here's how you should please us? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, and it's uh, or or even if they do, it's not. Uh, I, I don't think they're 
conscious of the fact that they're doing it and when i try to call them out on it it's just kind of avoiding it and i don't know how I... but i suppose i guess what i'm trying to uh i tell you what why don't you uh, i mean you're welcome to call back in but i think you need to figure out what it is that you're asking because you've asked about 12 questions i've tried to answer as many of them as possible but i just don't feel that we're connecting no, you're right. You're right. And that's um, totally fine. I just maybe you should try and figure out what it is that you'd like to ask, because I feel like you're not asking the real questions because you're not particularly connected into the feedback or the response, which is fine. I'm just I'm just pointing it out that I think we're talking past each other. OK. Um, OK. All right. Thanks. Well, I will uh, I'll definitely think about this a little more and uh, I will call back in when I'm a little more clear on what I want to uh, get across. Thanks, Steph. All right. Well, I'm sorry that uh, I couldn't uh, give you anything more useful, but I think we have somebody else who's on the line. All right. Thanks. Thanks, man. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Steph? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, OK, so I'm calling you again like the colombian guy i just um i i i yesterday happened something and i and i and i want to talk about it with you maybe you can give me some some advice maybe you can help me organize my ideas because i'm kind of confused right now uh so well, I, I, I had this girlfriend like for the last uh, year and a couple of months and uh i i mean she's she's really really caring really infectious and 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 i love spending time with her it's you know it, we we were like building up our confidence in each other and that was working pretty well uh, she was not so open at first but you know and well neither was i but we tried to build up like confidence that was that was good and and i was feeling really really nice uh but there were some some issues and uh, um what i like i'm thinking now is okay so her family is catholic right so i'm living in colombia you know there's a lot of catholic people out there and uh her family is very, I mean, her father is like, he, he goes to church like sacredly and and he really believes in all of the church stuff. And well, so does the rest of her family. And she was like that, but you know, we started to talk about religion stuff and and she said like she, she wanted to give it a thought, maybe think about about God, the existence of God, you know, the church and everything. But, you know, I, I, I feel like she she was not too interested in it. Maybe that that maybe I was pushing it too too far, I don't know. And well that was like building up in my mind. Because, you know, I am pretty confident. Like I, I could see a long relationship with her if she was not like I would not get married 
by the church. Sorry, let me just make sure I understand. I just want to make sure I understand what, what the issue yeah. is. So the issue is that her family is religious and you're an atheist and communicating it is causing problems. Is that right? Mm, well, that, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to extend too, too long on this because you're right, you know, time's limited. So I'm going to, you know, summary it up as, as briefly as I can. So I, uh, you know, the, the, this, the sentiment that I had that she was religious and she didn't want to discuss it, you know, openly, or I don't know, like we, we would, we would not, uh, touch that topic so often. And then like everything, you know, the rest of it was fine. I, and I really loved spending time with her, but yesterday it was, uh, the presidential, uh, thing here in Colombia, like the new president got, got, uh, you know, there in the event that they change and the, the speaking and, you know, the and the speech and everything. And I didn't want to see that. And she came to my house and, and she said, no, like I was watching at my house. So, you know, let's watch it. And then I put it in. And as I was listening to that, like it lasted, the, the president's speech lasted like for one hour or more. I just realized that we are very different in something very basic is that i don't know i i i don't i try to you know i'm i'm very interested in knowing if people is telling me the truth or not like you know priests and my family and politicians etc but then i felt like she was completely different like she she would just she she was like supportive of a candidate and you know like i i felt a, a great distance there and i got really really depressed and it was like we were fine but then i i i don't know i i got really depressed and then you know things got awkward i i told her that i i felt like we were very different she got really sad I was sad as well, and then, then well, she she asked me if I wanted to, you know, continue with her, and I and I told told her that I didn't know. So since then, that was like yesterday in the afternoon. I've been thinking about I I almost couldn't sleep. Then you know, I've I've been trying to think about it, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if my standard is too high. I don't know if if what I want is too much. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you can help me out. Sure, sure. I mean, I I don't know if I can help you out. Um, I doubt it, but I can perhaps just lob some questions out that uh, that might be helpful. Yeah. Sure. Um. To me, the fundamental issue that you're talking about is not one of atheism versus religion or, or voluntarism versus statism. The question is, what? Uh, how are you resolving this difference of opinion? Right. That that's the key. Then the key is how you resolve a difference. The differences of opinion are inevitable and natural and healthy. I mean, none of us will, will ever say that we agree with ourselves 100%, obviously. I mean, we have different opinions about everything, and the best we can hope for is to push the herd of the self in roughly the same direction. 
So the question I think that I would have with you is, uh, what went wrong with the resolution of this conflict that you ended up feeling sad? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind was when I when I thought that I I I see myself in a in, you know in a long stable relationship for the future with her. When I, when I saw that, I realized that you know religion was something that we needed to discuss because of course I won't raise my child Catholic or anything like that. Uh, so in December uh, last year, I, I I wrote her a letter telling her that I, I, I really thought that, you know, our, our differences in opinion about religion was something really important that I, I really, really, you know, uh, thought it was really important to discuss it. And I, I gave it. I gave her the letter and I bought her as a present for Christmas a book, you know, an atheist book, like an introductory atheist book. And she said that, yeah, it was fine that she, she also, well, that she thought that if it was important for me to, you know, to talk about that, then she was fine with it. And then she started to read it. And um, then she stopped. She never really read it all. And we discussed it a couple times, but I don't know, like I feel that she felt uncomfortable reading it. So we 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 didn't talk about it anymore. Then recently, like a couple of weeks ago, we, we decided that we needed to talk about it. And I don't know, I was planning on doing that, but you know, yesterday happened before we had the opportunity to, to talk about religion again. And as far as politics go, she's, I don't know, I guess a pragmatic person. So she she doesn't really give a lot of thought about politics and she gets bored when discussing those issues. So I, I don't know how to get on board on those. Well, sorry, but you can't make her interested in something she's not interested in, right? Right. I mean, that's that, that I think you have to accept first and foremost. The second thing is that they're not your kids, right? They would be the kids of, of both of you. So if you got married and had kids, it would be both of you uh, who would the children would be. So you, you can't make a decision about how your children are raised. You can't make that decision. It's not yours to make because it's a shared responsibility, right? Yeah, but I, I think like in that case, you could like, I don't know, like try to veto some stuff, right? After you... Sorry, you could try to discuss it, like veto it, like you know, you say. Oh, veto! No, you can't. You can't. You can't veto. You can't veto your partner. I mean, you you can't because the UPB denies that, right? Because if you have a veto, she has a veto, and you just end up both vetoing each other's veto, right? So you can't. You can't veto your partner. You you have to agree on this stuff before you have kids if it's really important to you. But thinking that it's going to get resolved afterwards or that you have some big power thing is not uh, it's not the way the relationships not the way the good relationships work in my opinion yeah yeah you're right so um look i no one can tell you what to do i can tell you that i when i was doing my master's program i got uh, uh, very close to a woman who was in the master's program with me and i liked her very much uh, she was very smart and very witty and uh 
a, a good cook, uh, very important to a man who likes to eat and uh, uh, a very um, okay, similar cultural backgrounds, which, you know, can help in some situations. And uh, but she was unfortunately, she was religious and she was like going to church religious. And I was this is back in my salad days of integrity. So uh, I. um uh, we, uh, we flirted and we kind of half dated, uh, for a couple of months. And, um, then I, I had to have the conversation with her and I said, look, uh, if we get married, like if we have a relationship, it will be with the purpose of, you know, a long-term thing. I would sort of passed my, uh, he-man dating, uh, situation. And I, you know, if the, if you want to go to church, that's fine. Um, if, uh, but, but you, you can't take the kids to church as if it's true. If they want to choose religion when they get older, then they can. But that's not something that I could live with. And she says, no, I would, I would take the, the, the children to church with me when they're young. And she said, this is my father is an atheist and he sleeps in while we all go to church. And that's fine. Uh, that's the way it works in our family. And I said, well, I'm sorry then. Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm certainly not going to ask you to change your beliefs. Um, I'm certainly not going to change uh, mine because they're not beliefs. There is no God, so I can't have you... Uh, putting superstitious fantasy. I didn't say all of this, right? But this is the reality, right? I just, you know, this is not going to work. So I ended up not uh, not going any further uh, in that relationship. And uh, that was just because I could not... Uh, and, and to tell you why, I'll tell you why. Look, if you want to have these values, then have the values, right? Have the values. If, if, if have philosophy. Have philosophy. And if you want to have a relationship with people who are uh, superstitious or embedded in these kinds of environments, who are status, who won't see the gun in the room and so on, uh, by all means, <laughs> it's absolutely fine for you to do that. But then you need to let go of philosophy. You need to let it go, right? I don't think there's a way to even remotely happily live in this null zone, in this purgatory of these are my values and I live a different way. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, we define statism as evil, as the initiation of force as evil. And we have to logically, ipso facto, cogico ergo, ergo sum, we have to accept that if statism is evil, then support for statism is morally corrupt, is, is wrong, is immoral. Uh, you know, I call it dropping the E-bomb. Like, if we're going to define things as evil, then they're evil until we can figure out some other definition or way in which the definition is flawed. If the initiation of force is immoral, if lying to children about the existence of supernatural beings is wrong, then it's wrong. It's just plain wrong. And people who are wrong, people who are corrupt, people who are immoral can be a lot of fun to go to the movies with. And they can be a lot of fun to go to discos with. And they can be a lot of fun to go hiking with, and they, you can have great conversations and enjoyable conversations with people who are corrupt and immoral. And you can even have fun times, you can have great sex with people who are corrupt and immoral. But my suggestion is, if you're going to get involved in a philosophy that objectively defines good and evil, then that's how you need to live. Because you're dropping the e-bomb on people, you're dropping the, the word evil on people. Yeah. Now, if if you find that there's a problem with that, if you and there are problems with it, of course, but if you find you don't want to do that, I mean, not that you care, but I think that's perfectly fine, right? Then you say, okay, 
I'm going to let go of philosophy and I'm going to pursue a relationship based upon other kinds of compatibilities and I'm going to let go of this good and evil thing. Because I'll tell you, my friend, if you try to go into a relationship with a philosophy that defines the person you're having a relationship with as immoral, that is cruel. That is cold. That is destructive. So if you like the woman, then maybe philosophy is fucked. Philosophy is completely wrong. If you like the woman and she's, you know, she's fun and she's engaging and she's intelligent and she's, you know, a good person in many ways, then let go of the word evil. Let go of the word morality. Let go of the word philosophical ethics. Let go of that whole approach and be with the woman. But let go of that. Because if you bring the E-bomb into a house where it's going to go off, you are responsible for the resulting carnage, not the people in the house. If you're going to bring the word evil into a relationship or immoral or corrupt or superstitious or lying or false or any of those things, which philosophy is embedded with, if you're going to bring those into a relationship where they're going to go off, that is a bad, bad, bad idea. So if you can live with the woman the way she is and she contradicts philosophical premises, then stay with the woman let go of the philosophical premises, but don't torture yourself by being with her, defining her as immoral, and trying to change her. That, I believe, is a cruel and destructive use of philosophy. You're completely right. Steph, I, I, I'm thinking about a couple of things uh, be before you know you hung me up. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I, I, we have some other people on the line, uh, and that was a big topic, so I'd like you to... Okay. You can spend a month mulling that one over. Uh, so I'd like to get on to the next callers, if you don't mind. I just want to make sure we get everyone who's in the queue. Uh, so I hope that was helpful. Yeah, thank you, Steph. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to ask you something real quick before um, you change to someone else. Uh, I don't know if you have written about how was like your your personal experience with, with Christina in a, in a forum or something like that where I can read it. Um, has it... Oh, it's very briefly. Uh, I mean, Christina, Christina was trained as a scientist, of course. She's a psychological associate. So, uh, so she's trained in the scientific method. Uh, she, you know, she is not herself religious. Uh, she was a vague sort of, there must be something, a higher power agnostic when I first met her. Uh, but um, it, it took like maybe half an hour or an hour's conversation to get her to realize that was an untenable position and because she's trained as a scientist uh, she puts reason and evidence ahead of personal preference and so she was no longer uh, religious and uh, maybe it was another hour or two with the state and then we were done but uh, uh, so it were uh, you know but uh, so so that was fortunately and you know that that worked out really well uh, but that's you know due to her integrity and of course I was a bit better at presenting these things when I was older but um yeah, that was uh, that was the history, but it was not uh, it was not a big deal in um, uh, in in our relationship. Okay, thank you very much, Steph. Have a great day. You're very welcome, and best of luck. All right, I think we have more callers. Hello, Steph. You're all right. Hi. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I'm sorry that you you had to wait uh, so long. That's, that's absolutely fine. Um, I just wanted to quickly say that I really like your uh, new video, Sunset of the State. Absolutely oh, excellent you. work from yourself. 
Um, so I just wanted to say that just from the start, if that's okay. Well, I appreciate that, but just please remember, it's not really my video. It's uh, it, I just wrote and narrated it. Uh, yeah, and did some, I, some suggestions, but it goes to Think Twice Productions. Uh, is uh, takes the lion's share of the the impact. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations to both of you then. Thank you. Um, my question is, Steph, I, I try not to take too much of your time because obviously there is a lot of people waiting. Um, I just wanted to know your opinion, really, on this topic. Um, obviously, we all know from the work you've been doing and, and from philosophers of the past that the state is going to collapse in the near future, however long that takes. I just wanted to know what your opinion is on how that's going to happen, i.e., is there going to be genocide? Is it going to be like what's happened in Greece? What do you think the outcome is going to be? You know, that day from when it's running, it's up and running, and then bang, it, it collapses, or whether it's going to be a gradual collapse, which probably I would assume it would be. But what's it going to be like that day? I mean, what, what, what are your views and opinions on that, please, Steph? Sure, I can uh, give you my my brief scenario on what I think will happen. And of course, nobody knows for sure. I don't think we're going to wake up in FEMA camps. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. There is too much of an embedded respect uh, for liberty. And there is a horror in Western society about the direct use of force. Uh, I think that's really, really important to understand. So, uh, America sends people to be tortured to Egypt, whereas in Egypt, they don't send them to America. They know that they're being tortured in Egypt, and apparently that's relatively fine with people. And so Egypt has a culture that accepts torture. America has a culture which rejects torture, which is why they need to put people in the legal limbo of Guantanamo Bay and uh, send them abroad for this extraordinary rendition. And also why they have to call it extraordinary rendition rather than foreign government torture for hire. So there is a horror of naked force in the West. And so naked force cannot be used uh, to, to rule people in the West. Uh, this comes uh, a long time out of, um, uh, you know, you can check out the psychohistory.com website, but it comes out of a long, a long line of better parenting, right? So uh, naked force is very rarely publicly used for children, and it is more, much more rare in the West than it used to be uh, to, to use, uh, you know, straight on, you know, belt to the face violence uh, on children. And so uh, people don't have, they have not been acclimatized, they've not been brutalized to the point where open violence is, um, is acceptable. And that, and that is actually moving in the right direction, right? So uh, this is always the case in society that parenting is far ahead of social institutions. Parenting is always far ahead of social institutions. And I know this sounds like a tangent, but I will get to why I think this will slow down what is, what is happening. Uh, um, so uh, pa parenting is uh, building uh, a generation or two from now, uh, and a generation and a half probably in terms of people getting into real power. Right? People don't generally get into real power into society until they're in their 50s. Right? So the parenting that is going on for, for me uh, and, and other people who, you know, with kids who are very young, it's not going to show up in society until 2060 at least. Right? So, so parenting, uh, what is going on in terms of parenting is way ahead of society, whereas, of course, the people who are in power now who were in their 50s or their 60s were raised well, 50 or 60 years ago. And 50 or 60 years ago, parenting hadn't gone through much of a revolution compared to what has happened more recently. So those parenting standards were 100 to 150 years 
uh, old. And so parenting is so far ahead of where social institutions are. So, I mean, I'll give you another tiny example, right? So every generation, people get smarter. But government uh, and religious institutions stay cripplingly medieval, right? So the schoolroom situation that was set up for children uh, in the 1850s, we're dealing with children probably less than half as smart, just biologically, less than half as smart as children are today. So children have continued to accelerate in terms of their intelligence, and that's just biologically, let alone all of the amazing stimulation that children have available to them through videos and video games and all of that, and, and typing and, uh, sorry, computers, chat rooms, and so on. All of the amazing stimulation that children have at the moment, which sharpens their minds and quickens their reflexes and so on. So children are probably many times smarter than the children of the 1850s now, and yet they're still stuck in these stupid-ass rooms with some boring, stupid-ass teachers droning away and scraping chalk on a blackboard, the same as it was 150 years ago. So statism stays stagnant, but children and parenting advance incredibly rapidly. And so there's no way, given that the people in charge are always ruling a psycho class ahead of them, uh, sorry, that's a bit technical. The people who are running things are always more primitive than the young people that they're ruling. M much more primitive, much more retrograde, fuddy-duddy, ridiculous, ancient. I hope I won't be one of those people, but uh, I may be. I may be. I'm sure there'll be something that will come along, which I just won't get. I won't grok. I won't understand at some point, right? Like my mom still refers to a CD player as a gramophone. There'll be something that comes along. I just, I can't cross that bridge. I have to stay uh, in, in where I am. And I'll call some brainstem neural device an iPod or something. I don't know. But, but the reality is that the rulers who are in charge of things, and these are the people who run the media and the people who run the government and the people who run the big corporations and all that fascistic state tentacle intertwining, they're always ruling people who were younger. And those people who were younger are much more advanced intellectually, uh, emotionally, they're raised more peacefully, they uh, have a great abhorrence for naked and open force. And that is a huge restraint on the collapse. This, the second thing I would say is that the, the, state, the state won't collapse. A state, right? A particular method of social configuration will, will reach the end of its, of its lifespan. And I genuinely believe that although the media is still pretty statist, it is skeptical of authority as a whole. So you see shows like The Wire, even the movie that I mentioned at the beginning of this, the girl with the dragon tattoo uh, has, uh, this is no particular secret, it has corruption at high levels of business and it has uh, the exact same corruption in the state, uh, in the state representatives. Uh, so there seems to be a general skepticism of authority as a whole, as a whole. You think of how police were portrayed in the Andy Griffith show in the 1950s versus how they're portrayed in The Wire. There is a clarity and a realism and holding a mirror up to nature, a mirror up to the corrupting nature of, of power that is really communicated to children these days and to young people these days very clearly. There is a lot of status propaganda. There is a lot of anti-status propaganda that is mostly unconscious. And mostly it's like, well, there are bad apples and we need to make them. But it's, it's still, there is a clarity that is put forward. I mean, just think of how soldiers are portrayed in modern movies versus how soldiers were portrayed in John Wayne movies, like 
the longest day or whatever. I mean, it is it is night and day. Look at how the reality of war is portrayed. Look at how the reality of prison is portrayed. Where you have movies like Prison Break that are largely sympathetic to the prisoners. Uh, sorry, TV shows. So, again, we don't have to get into this six million different kinds of things to talk about as far as the media goes and, and so on. But there's a huge amount of skepticism towards authority that is directly targeted to the younger people. And this is targeted by the middle generation, right? So the people who start making TV shows are sort of the middle generation between the young, the middle age, and the old who have real uh, political and, and uh, cultural power. And it's like I had this uh, call with a guy from Israel who was just basically saying, well, the hardliners, we just have to wait for them to die off, and then we can get a more reasonable accommodation with the Palestinians, but they're just not going to change, and so we just have to wait. We just have to wait them out. And so I, I have a fair amount of optimism about what is, uh, what is going on in the world and what is being communicated to people. It still is a very big paradigm shift to go from skepticism of authority to the consistent non-aggression principle. But I think that we may very well be surprised at what happens when the system, the current system, reaches the end of its tether. I think we may very well be surprised. I mean, that a show as radical as Free Domain Radio has been viewed or listened to over 20 million times is mind-blowing. The fact that a, a strong atheist, anarchist philosopher is put front and center at conferences is mind-blowing to me. What the fuck are these people thinking? <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I know that I'm a good speaker and all, but but it is amazing that somebody like me gets a chance to talk to anyone except my toes and hand puppets. It's, it's amazing. That is stupendous, stupendous progress in the world. And... So I think that we should uh, – the, the steps are pretty dismal, pretty much the same. The government's going to start to run out of money. They're going to claw back benefits to those who have the least power, which is going to be the young, uh, particularly the children. Uh, they are going to start uh, charging for things that used to be free but not lowering your taxes, which is just another tax increase. They're going to start privatizing stuff. So the private company is going to take things over, and then you're going to get mad at the private companies who are going to run you know, the parks and, and uh, the garbage collection and other sorts of shit that the government should be doing because you pay taxes. So it's just going to start selling stuff off in a feeding frenzy. So a lot of stuff's going to move over to the private sector. And uh, I, think that's, um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, so stuff will move over to the private sector, and people are going to get mad at the private sector because the private sector is going to charge them money while they're still paying for all the status nonsense. But uh, it certainly is possible that by the time the end comes, enough stuff has been transferred to the private sector by being stoled off by the state uh, that uh, the transition might not be <laughs> as radical uh, as we think. That's uh, uh, I think that's uh, that's how I think it's going to shake down. But of course, there's many many answers, and those are just my particular thoughts. Yeah, thanks for that, Steph. That was uh, really helpful. Obviously, I, I really hope that I'm around when the time, you know, when that day comes, when it does, it does crumble, because that'll be part of history, won't it? Just right there. Um, but yeah, thanks for your time, anyway, Steph. That's really helped me out. Yeah, and you know, it's a 
frankly, it's a pretty goddamn exciting time to be communicating about ideas. And I know that we're all doing this in one form or another, whether it's personally or on the web or even on the free domain radio message boards and so on. Uh, it's a pretty damn exciting time to be doing it because I don't think that freedom has ever had a better chance than it has now with this amazing technology, with the 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 deficiencies of the system becoming so blindingly obvious and with the fact that the west is absolutely not going to slide into uh, into dictatorship it is absolutely not going to slide into a dictatorship there are many people who would like to but um it's simply not uh, it's no longer possible people have not been brutalized and you you have to be like beaten so badly and you have to have been whipped in school and and uh, of course i was in a school when i was younger where uh, I was caned for doing things as simple as climbing over a wall that I shouldn't have. Uh, children don't experience that. Uh, most children don't experience that uh, anymore. They're not beaten to within an inch of their lives. They're not pummeled and, and pounded and all of that. So you have to have been broken down so hard to not to, to reject so that you don't reject totalitarianism. It is a psychological effect. Totalitarianism is a psychological effect of insanely brutalized children. And uh, children just aren't that brutalized that they can be ruled in that way as adults anymore. They don't have that wiring. They don't respond to those inputs. So it is uh, it is not going to go that way. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with you. Um, it's been lovely speaking to you, Steph. A pleasure. Uh, keep up the good work. And thanks, and you know, stay optimistic and stay excited. I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're gonna win, man. I think we're gonna win. Anyway, thanks. All man. the best, Steph. Okay, man. Take care. And next. Yes. Hi, Steph. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? I sure can. Uh, okay, Steph. Um, I've talked to you uh, two weeks ago. I'm the guy that's over 30, still living with his father, and um, yes, I asked you some questions, uh, um, and you told me that uh, it was a good idea to uh, uh, study myself and go to therapy, and uh, before I take action and uh, move out uh, my father's place. Um, I, I have some uh, other questions I would love to ask you. And I have no problem with that, but sorry, I just want to make sure in case we have people who uh, who are still uh, on the line, uh, who mm -hmm. have had a chance to talk, I just wanted to make sure we get to okay. them, uh, just in case there's anybody who's ahead. James, do we have anybody who's uh, waiting or to begin anything uh, in the chat room that should be dealt with first? Um, I think we can, you know, I think Caleb hasn't uh, spoken in a while. Do you want to uh, speak up? Hello? Hello, sorry, if is that hold I just wanted to make sure that we're getting to people who haven't been on for a while, so uh, we'll get back to you if we can before the end of the show. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, hi, Jeff. Hi. Hey, um, I was just uh, calling. I had a, uh, wanted to get your thoughts on a few things about uh, some uh, a parenting question. Sure. Well, um, uh, I, I have, uh, I'm a stay-at-home dad. Uh, I've, I've talked to you a little bit before, I don't know if I remember, but I, um, my youngest son is, is three. And he's, he's the one who's really been raised basically since I discovered FDR. And he, he's a little bit, 
it's a little bit different case than my slightly older son who's six who kind of caught the brunt of some of a lot of my big changes. But uh, it's been really great to to see my, my youngest son grow up in a more uh, relaxed and peaceful parenting style. And uh, I think it's been really wonderful so far. So just wanted to, again, thank you for that. No, my pleasure. I'm certainly very, very happy to hear that. And uh, one thing that has been kind of a, a challenge for us is that uh, uh, my, my youngest son's language skills haven't really developed quite as uh, as fast as my older son's, and uh, so there was there's some worry about that. Um, whether it was uh, an issue of him being a, a younger sibling or an issue of um, some sort of developmental difficulty or maybe a fact that uh, I was uh, the primary caregiver. I've read a lot of research saying that stay-at-home dads uh, tend to say a lot less words than, uh, than, than mothers similarly in most situa- situations. Oh, so your concern is that because you may have used fewer words with him, that uh, that might be why his language skills are, are not as far as advanced as you'd like? That was one of the concerns I had. And, uh, but uh, it, it got to the point we, we decided to, to take him to a professional to be, to be evaluated. And in our area, there's not many options. The, uh, the sort of, uh, it's a cooperative that works with the public school systems. Uh, and he uh, and, and they they did a lot of tests, but uh, I I noticed that when they were talking about these tests, the uh, the educators that seemed kind of cold and distant uh, reported not so good things, and the educators that seemed warm and and personable always reported good things you know, that he was pleasurably interacting with the uh with those who were kind of warm and those who weren't uh, kind of my thought was you know i wouldn't give you a test either sort of thing they just said that he wouldn't he wouldn't cooperate with their tests right so so my big question is first of all um is this what what things have you noticed different about maybe uh, even our peers? So maybe I can get an idea of what's due to his idiosyncrasies and what's due to maybe just a little less, I don't want to say less, a little different way of uh, interacting that he just doesn't like to interact with unpleasant people. Oh, gosh, I mean... I, I, I mean, I can certainly tell you a little bit of what I've noticed, but I, I obviously can't can't say anything about uh, your, your son in particular. I mean, I've certainly noticed that my daughter has people that she gravitates towards and people that she is um, less uh, less inclined to to cooperate with, and um, uh, I think that has to do with uh, she's. I mean, I think she's very good at reading people. Uh, certainly people that I find a bit off-putting. And she's either reading them or she's reading me, but I think she's reading them because sometimes it happens when I'm standing behind her and she sees someone. Uh, and so people who are uh, less uh, friendly or more awkward or more shy or in a bad mood, she tends to shy away from and uh, be less cooperative with. And 
Uh, I think that's the same. Like uh, we have a uh, we have a neighbor here. His daughter is about uh, uh, eight months older than Isabella, and uh, I was just saying to Christina the other day, it's like, wow, you know, she doesn't she doesn't seem to talk. You know, <laughs> Isabella is like a complete chatterbox. She'll start talking before she even opens her mouth. Uh, sorry, before she even opens her eyes after she before she wakes up. And she'll talk in her sleep, and she's just a real chatterbox. And she's like that way for the most part in company, though not always. Sometimes she will get uh, sort of shy or freeze up if there's uh, certain people around. Uh, and my wife said, uh, Christina said, oh, you know, I heard this neighbor uh, with her uh, with his um, daughter in, in their backyard, and the daughter was chatting up a storm. So uh, I think there is definitely um, an argument to be made that some children are shy or clam up around other people and i think that there is a level of friendliness that invites more cooperation from a child and a level of coldness that that disinvites that i don't know the degree to i would assume that the people who are giving the tests i would hope that they know what they're doing and are not in a sense priming the child to succeed or fail based upon well i guess just to fail because you can't really prime for success in those kinds of tests but i hope that they're not priming the child to fail because they are uh, cold or hostile or, or distant i think that they should be uh, somewhat neutral uh, in the giving of the test. Uh, so I've certainly noticed that that's been the case. I mean, I have no idea, of course, uh, uh, to what degree that may influence what's happening with your son. But I think I certainly agree with you that the attitude of the the adults has a big effect. Well, I, that, that's, I, I think that's true. Uh, um, I don't think they're priming him to, to, uh, to fail necessarily out of coldness. It might be the fact that uh, they have to justify... Um, their their budget they're they are a governmental organization after all and uh they basically were doing these tests as as a as paperwork to uh to uh, involve him in 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 their pre in the preschool program which I, I thought about for a long time uh and decided that it was it was okay to uh, you know send him to a to a half a day where he could interact with with other kids, being since he's kind of isolated out there with me. So I definitely wanted him to get a little more peer interaction there. But uh, it, is a, it is a subsidized program, and they have to make sure that the kids who are there uh, need to be there, um, according to the, the test they run. So I, I, I'm kind of in the quandary. I'm not sure if they were just uh, basically running, running these tests to, to fill out the papers in the right way or if... There's something I really need to get evaluated, or uh, maybe it's just the fact that I have a weird relationship with intelligence. So it's, it's all kind of uh, confused and one of those things that parents worry about. Oh, I completely understand. And I mean, you have a huge, huge sympathy. I, you know, I mean, I would guess that, that it's going to balance out and everything's going to be fine. But of course, I mean, what do I know, right? I'm just some guy on the web. But uh, it is definitely a, a stressful thing when um, when development in certain areas seems to be. Uh, it seems to be behind. Um, I guess the only thing that, I mean, you have to take the advice of the, the professionals, but uh, of course, you know, I have, I have read that uh, one of the things that is a challenge for uh, children in various classes, and to use that sort of semi-ancient terminology that, and I, I think these are the right numbers, but uh, children from uh, parents who are educated hear about 2,400 words a day. Uh, and the children from people from the middle class, they're about twelve to 1,400, and the children from the very poor or, or less privileged classes, uh, those children hear about 600 words a day, and uh, that it has a difference uh, on, on uh, I think, long-term language acquisition. So uh, whatever you can do, I'm sure, to up 
the language that he's exposed to would, I'm sure, be be helpful. But of course, uh, that's just my amateur opinion. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I I, I don't want to uh, take off anyone else's time because I know there's other people waiting. But uh, yeah, I just, I just want to make sure because uh, you know uh, I, I have a very uh, my my vanity is all kinds of caught up in my own mind. That's always kind of how I, you know, made my living and uh, distinguished myself. So I, I want to get that out of the way so I can look at what, what he what he needs. So Right. I mean, there, there's lots of people who, you know, don't have great language skills who have fantastic success in life. Uh, Sylvester Stallone comes to mind. It could be like people who don't seem to have really great language skills, but who have you know, other abilities. I mean, they could be, could be very athletic or they could be very charismatic or whatever, but there could be lots of things that uh, are not specific to, to language skills. And of course, every, uh, every kid is different in the constellation of skills and abilities and deficiencies, which they, like you, like me, uh, all possess. So uh, it, it, is, it is tough for sure if you have a child who's skilled in an area that was not a big deal for you and is less skilled in an area that was a big deal for you for sure. Uh, but that is just a, a reminder of how we should not take our personalities as absolutes, right? I mean, there is a tendency that whatever is like me is good and whatever is unlike me is bad. That is, I think, a very human tendency or is, is deficient in some way. But in the incredibly complex kaleidoscope and constellation of personalities, uh, we can learn a lot of humility by looking at things that other people do well that we don't and you know, not just focus on comparing our strengths to other people's relative weaknesses. That uh, that helps, and uh, the one thing all of them agreed on was that uh, he was he was the most happy child they'd ever seen. They said he's he's always smiling, he's always happy, and so he must be doing something right. So that's that's and, and that may be something. Instead of trying to figure out how to teach him more language, you might want to learn about how to learn more happiness from him. You know, like I think I have found it enormously helpful to be. Uh, instructed by my daughter. And uh, I think that it gives her a sense of security and weight in the relationship. So uh, I think it's very important for parents to have a two-way street. Uh, none of us are so wise that we can't learn from your average 18-month-old or three-year-old or five-year-old or 10-year-old. And so uh, I think that to, uh, you know, the, 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 the best way to teach in a, in a sense is to learn because it makes it reciprocal and gives the child a sense of his or her own value. And not that the, that the child is an empty receptacle, in a sense, waiting to be filled up by the wisdom of the parent, which I think makes them a little bit more passive and a little bit less, uh, ex they, they less expect reciprocity in relationships, I think. And I've got, I'm, I'm just talking off the top of my head. I'm certainly not trying to put any, uh, any thoughts into how you're parenting, because I don't know. But I think that there's something to be learned from a happy child, no matter what his or her language skills are. That's, that's excellent. Thank you. That, that's what I wanted. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, and uh, best of luck, and uh, you know, keep him uh, on the specialists. And uh, I think uh, that's that's a great that you're getting him in there. So uh, I certainly wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you very much. Bye. All right, I think we have time for Uno, 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 more game of Uno. Uh, hi, Steph. Hello. Um, is it, uh, are there other people that are still waiting to ask something? I don't know, James. Who we got? Anyone on deck? I think the queue has pretty much been cleared out. Um, That's good. 
Yeah, okay. so I think I think we're clear to go. Go for it. Okay, thanks. Um, so I have a, one uh, uh, question that uh, uh, pops up with many men, I think. I have a, a good uh, girlfriend, but for already more than 10 years, um, we have very good conversations. But, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm in love with her, but always I, I, I'm attracted to her also. I, I don't have... I never had real girlfriends. Uh, I, I mean, uh, friends that are feminine. So, um, but the one indeed uh, that I have now, she's she's attractive also. So, but I'm wondering, what do you think about that uh, friendship with uh, the other sex? Uh, is it possible? Yeah, I, I do think it's possible. Uh, I do think it's possible. I think it's it's tough in a situation where you're sort of the same age or, or both are, you know, both are single. And if there's a physical attraction, I think that there's always going to be that element uh, of the interaction. But uh, I certainly think that it's possible. I mean, I would count myself friends with, uh, with some women uh, and uh, very happy to have their friendships. So uh, I think that it's, uh, I think it certainly is possible, but I think that where there is the element of uh, romantic attraction that that's always going to be part of it. And uh, there may be some discomfort when the other person starts dating or gets into a serious relationship or gets married or whatever. But yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it certainly is possible. And um, if you're attracted to her for more than friendship, um, uh, is it uh, an obligation to go for that and to tell that, or because I feel that it might not that she's not interested in more? So how do you handle that then? Well, I don't think there's an obligation. Um, I mean, I think it's uh, it's honest to to do that. Uh, I certainly have thrown myself on the sword of rejected declarations. Oh gosh, a number of times in my life, and I am—I uh, I have no regrets that I did any of those. Uh, so I have, you know, stood and declared my passions for a woman on a number of occasions, and uh, been met with uh, bemused indifference. I suppose is the way to put it. And uh, I, you know, it was painful at the time. Uh, I had to work my courage up to do it. I'm very glad that I did it. There are times when I've been accepted. There are times when I've been rejected. I think, like everyone except Brad Pitt, perhaps. And uh, I, I just felt that it was important to do so because uh, of, of honesty, uh, because I've always sort of really been interested in what it means to be as honest as possible in, in relationships. And so uh, if, if for me it was like a mild thing, like, oh, yeah, this woman's attractive or whatever, and, uh, you know, you, you sort of think about that aspect of the relationship, then if it was just a passing thought, then I don't think it was important enough to raise but uh, if it was something that was uh, persistent for me and and growing and became something that was very important, then I did not feel that I could have an honest relationship with that woman without talking about how I felt. Now, I, I, talked, I would talk about how I felt, like not like this is something we have to act on or something that you have to do anything about, of course, right? But I just wanted to tell you that this is on my mind because otherwise I'll have to do this false self double think where I'll have to be thinking one thing while pretending to do something else. And I just never felt very comfortable doing that. So uh, I don't think you're obliged to like have to. I think that if it's become something that's increasingly uh, on your mind and, and is becoming uh, a passion, 
then I think it's uh, I think it's good information because it's honest information because it is going to affect the relationship. It's either going to affect it consciously or it's going to affect it unconsciously, right? So you, what you don't want to do in relationships is bewilder people, in my opinion. You, you don't want to bewilder people. So let's say you don't say anything to this woman and then she comes and says, hey, I found, I'm dating this really great guy and your heart drops. Well, you can't tell her about that at that point. Uh, and so you then can't be responding as warmly as possible. You're kind of freaked out. You're kind of distant. And she's like, well, what the hell? What does, uh, why is he not happy for me? And then she's bewildered and she's confused and she's upset and she might get, you know, whatever, something. So I think it's the, the most important things in relationships. The most important thing is not to bewilder people with seemingly random behavior because I think that is hugely destructive to people's sense of self-confidence, to people's capacity for intimacy, to their gun shyness when it comes to opening up to other people. I think it's really important not to be, um, not to be bewildering or confusing to people as a whole. So uh, if it's not a big deal for you, then I would just keep it to yourself. But if it's starting to become a big deal, I think it's information that she needs to have. So then when she starts to date someone, she's going to know that your reaction is not incomprehensible, uh, if, if that makes sense. So I think that would be that would be my approach. Great. Uh, thank you, Steph. Um, I have another question. Um, um, I have actually a, a big fight with my brother. Um, so um, I have uh, mistreated him when I was young. Uh, I've beaten him uh, and, um, uh, yeah, uh, and, um, uh, the, he actually, I think he did the same to me the last uh, 10 years. Um, and, uh, but not physically, but mentally. Uh, so, and together with his wife, they, the last year, they said some things to me that I was really shocked, um, from, uh, but I have always accepted that because I have used a lot of, uh, weed, a lot of drugs. But now I decided to stop that, and it's unbearable to hear the same criticism. So at one point, I said to my brother, uh, look, I don't want to see your wife anymore because she's uh, telling very hurtful things to me. Um, and he said to me, look, um, uh, that's your problem. Um, and um, then I tried to explain to him, look, um, imagine that because they just lost a child it was six months old um, and I said to my brother I six months in the belly uh, so it was it's quite a, a, a big issue for them uh, so I said to my brother look uh, if I would uh, laugh about the death of your child um, then your wife would not want to see me also um, and he reacted furious on that he said that um, it is totally not comparable and that I have to apologize. Um, and so now it's a big war. Um, and I would like why to... Is there, why, is it a, why is it a big war? Well, he doesn't speak to me anymore. Uh, I've seen him twice now on weddings. Um, he doesn't... He, he ignores me, doesn't speak with me. Um, and he is very angry at me. But that doesn't seem like a war. I mean, that just seems like the relationship is not going on at the moment, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, what uh, what can I do for you about that? Well, I want to know if I'm morally if if it's if it's if it's okay. if it's uh, what I said to him. I want to know if it's your opinion. If I was wrong to say that or not. 
Um, did they ever, did they, do you know if they ever had a miscarriage or lost a child? Yes, they did. Very recently. Oh. And, um, and you, you were comparing that to her making jokes about your drug use, if I remember rightly? Uh, her making jokes about my career and about my uh, position in life uh, that I'm, um, well, that I have failed uh, several uh, uh, jobs and um, making jokes about that. Yeah. Right, right. And they, was the child that they lost, was, a, was it a miscarriage? Yes. And was it at about, at about six months? Yes. Right. I think, um, I, I don't think that's an objective answer. I mean, relationships are negotiated. I don't think there's an objective answer that says you should not have used that or that was an appropriate thing to use. I, I think that what you were trying to communicate was that it was about as painful for you as something could be, right? That's correct. And uh, I think that offense is a very cheap substitute for communication. Uh, and uh, in, in this, uh, I would uh, fault your brother, to be honest. Uh, so uh, I can't speak as to the appropriateness of the metaphor because I don't know the history that you have uh, in terms of that. I do know that uh, uh, the loss of a child is, uh, is absolutely devastating. And uh, what you were trying to say is, I've been devastated by this. And um, I think that for your brother to say, uh, when you brought this up, that, uh, it, you know, that your behavior is absolutely appalling and shocking and I'm so offended and you must now apologize and so on, uh, I think is, um, uh, it's pretty crappy behavior. I mean, that's, uh, uh, you know, even, even if the uh, uh, metaphor is, is inappropriate, it's still just, just getting offended is to me uh, a, pretty, a pretty cheap substitute for actually being, uh, being in a conversation with someone. And uh, I will tell you this, though, uh, and this is, it's a strong opinion of mine. I'm not saying it's 100% proven, but it's a strong opinion of mine. Um, you cannot argue people into empathy. Right? Empathy is something that people have or they don't have. But you can't argue someone into having empathy. And I'm not saying that everybody has the same level of empathy, but there does seem to be a sort of binary thing that happens where people either have empathy or they just plain don't seem to have it. And I've not experienced, and Lord knows I've tried this, I can't even imagine how many times. I mean, it's got to have been hundreds of times in my life that I've tried this either online or uh, even on on shows uh, or or in my personal life, where I have tried to logically corner someone into having empathy, and I can tell you that it has never ever worked. Now that doesn't mean that people can't act badly and then regret it. I mean, just the other day, somebody posted something you know, really nasty and harsh on my YouTube channel. And then I didn't get around to doing anything about it. I was probably going to delete it just because I don't want to have that on my channel. And then he posted and he said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. What a ridiculously bad thing to do that was. You know, I apologize and blah, blah, blah. In which case, you know, well, 
it's not great, but it's it's not the end of the world. And so, you know, people can have regrets, even if they act in a very harsh manner, they can have regrets and they can apologize, which is definitely a step in the right direction. But uh, I have never experienced and I've never seen it happen, right? So 100% fail rate in my experience, which is pretty considerable, of saying to someone, but my feelings are like if I did this to you. Empathy, to my limited understanding of the brain, but empathy is something that occurs at a physical level. It is a physical, like they were called mirror neurons, where you see someone uh, do something and then you do it yourself and you understand that what is painful for you is painful for others. Uh, it is a whole stage of development that goes on in the brain when people are very young. It's like, I'll use the analogy again, it's like, it's like learning to speak Chinese. Logic cannot teach someone to speak Chinese. Logic can convince someone of the merits or lack of merits of an argument if they are already interested and accept logic. Logic can't fix the effects of trauma, of childhood trauma. Logic can't fix missed developmental stages in the brain. I'm sort of reminded that this at least is the story, that when Ayn Rand was old and her husband Frank O'Connor was old, uh, he began to experience dementia. Uh, it was just awful and tragic. It may have had something to do with his drinking. Uh, who knows, right? But he began to experience this dementia. And Ayn Rand would assign him essays because he would make mistakes in his thinking. And she would assign him essays and homework to work on to fix his thinking, to fix his mind. And she would sometimes harangue him to, to be clearer, to be, to be who he used to be. But of course, it didn't work because he was experiencing a physical cognitive decline. I can't reason my hair into regrowing. <laughs> I'm not even sure I would if I could. Kind of like this look. But you cannot reason people into suddenly having parts of their brain develop that did not develop when they were children. Right? So if somebody did not get enough calcium when they were young and they have brittle bones i mean you can't reason them into having had more calcium when they were younger and this is part of you know this is back to what we were talking about or what i was talking about at the beginning of the show to recognize where you have some power to affect and change things and where you don't and i'm not saying i i think it was probably a good thing to say I feel this way as if I had done this to you. I feel as if I, like, you would feel as I feel if I said to you, if I had made jokes about your miscarriage. But if somebody doesn't already get that at a very sort of deep and emotional level, if they have, if they, if they have not developed the capacity for empathy, which is a very long and involved and detailed process 
then a logical argument is not going to go back in time and give them the kind of parenting that they needed to get in order to develop empathy. It's just not going to happen. What is going to happen is you're either going to get this kind of blow up and this offense, um, or you're going to get this endless logical wrangling that goes on, like watching Rosencrantz and Guildenstone play tennis in that Tim Roth and Gary Oldman film. You're going to get this eternal wrangling which goes on where people are jockeying for the upper hand and so on. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will not come up with a logical argument that will create empathy in another human being. It is not something that you accept on the basis of reason and evidence. It's something that you have to have experienced as you are growing up. And um, I, I don't know the degree to which empathy can be taught later. I think I would imagine that if somebody is very, very interested in developing empathy, then if they were to spend years in therapy and work very hard... Uh, I would imagine that they could in the same way that if you didn't learn Chinese as a kid, then you can spend years and years and work very hard and learn Chinese. But there's no logical argument that uncorks some hidden reserve of Chinese speaking in a non-Chinese speaker. And I would say that the same is true for empathy. Again, I'm not saying that's 100% proven, of course, but to me, it's pretty damn close to an absolute uh, Uh, thank you, Steph. Um, well, uh, I didn't know that, um, but now I know that uh, thanks to the experience and your explanation that uh, through um, logic one cannot um, create empathy. Uh, thank you very much uh, uh, for explaining that. Um, uh, the problem I have now is that um, the whole family uh, agrees with him that I am wrong because in our culture we don't talk about the debt and I, I clearly uh, did that and um, so I am the one being wrong but that's not that was to be expected from my family but the problem is I went for the first time to a therapist and um, he he thinks the same so uh, what he said sorry to me he was, thinks that you should not have talked about the death of your wife's and uh, your sorry of your brother's child or yes. a, a fetus Right. Yes, that I should not have used the comparison. Uh, so he says, but he, he said that, look, um, he, uh, um, uh, I said to the therapist, yes, but he has beaten me for 10 years uh, uh, laughing with uh, my problems. And so when I use that comparison, uh, it's, it's righteous. On which the therapist said, Look, but you have beaten him before that also 10 years, eh, when you were young. So, and that way he wanted to show that, look, you've beaten him first, then he's beaten you back now the last 10 years, and now if you've said something that's really not acceptable. So, uh, he didn't say then, it's your fault, but that was, he, it's... It looked like it. So, Sorry, let me just... I have, and I, look, I'm, yeah. I, I don't want to contradict your therapist at all, so I'm not going to talk about, about that. I'm just going to talk to you what I think are the philosophical aspects of this. I tell you, this, is, this I think, is, is really important, and this, this goes out to, to everyone who ever listens to this. This is so essential. This is so essential. In my very strong opinion... The moment that you threaten the end of a relationship, the relationship is over. The moment that you put a condition on the relationship which says, do this or it's over, the moment that you lay down an ultimatum in a relationship, it's dead, done, buried, and gone. 
I have never had a relationship succeed where ultimatums have ever been issued. Because an ultimatum is a threat. And an ultimatum is a demand for conformity and obedience and submission. It is hierarchical. It is top-down. It is win-lose. And I don't stay in relationships which are based on do this or else. I don't stay in relationships that are based on threats. Right? So let's say that you did something really wrong in using this comparison. It was insensitive. It was harsh. It was cold. It was cruel. Whatever, right? Let's even say that you were in a bad mood and were feeling mean and wanted to say something that hurt. Let's just, I'm not saying that's true, but let's just say, let's, let's say you did the wrong thing. Well, then if your brother wants to have a relationship with you, then he needs to say, not to say you better apologize or I'm never going to talk to you again or it's over unless you grovel or whatever, right? That's, that's bullshit. That is not a relationship. It's just a familial roving dictatorship. So your brother says, oh my God, that really hurt. That was really harsh. Oh my God, I feel a great deal of pain and anger. And where the hell did that come from in you? Or whatever, right? But if it's like you are, you have so upset me, you have so angered me that unless you get down on your knees and apologize, we will never talk again. Well, let's say you do that. Let's say you apologize. Have you learned anything? No, you haven't learned anything. You haven't learned why. It was wrong if it was wrong. You haven't learned why you did something that was wrong and hurtful. You haven't, right? you haven't learned anything. You haven't grown in any way. All that's happened is you've put a little line which says, well, if I ever do that, I'm really in trouble, so I'm not going to do that. And then something else is going to happen, and something else is going to happen. That, this box, that just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Of people getting upset and people getting offended and people threatening, like, if you don't apologize, it's over. You know, threats and ultimatums and pull-the-plug demands. I mean, that's a grenade. You pull that pin out of the grenade, it does not go back in. I don't mean you. In this case, I mean your brother. And again, this is just my, my thoughts on it. Relationship problems are solved through honesty, through openness, through curiosity, and through persistence, and through a lack of name-calling, an avoidance of contempt, and of destructive rage, or if those things occur, apologies, lavish apologies as soon as possible. Relationship problems are solved by figuring out what is causing them deep down. They are not solved by banning behavior at the surface level. All that happens is they get pushed somewhere else. That's why I'm saying that these restraints, these constraints, these restrictions will always increase, just like any hierarchical, top-down, aggressive, or abusive system, like a government. Right? Government power always increases. Liberty always decreases. Ultimatums will always multiply because the core problems are not being dealt with. And therefore, something else is going to happen which is going to provoke it. And you both just end up completely paralyzed because you're not going to the root and solving the problems. And you can't go to the root and solve the root problems on your own. You can do that with your therapist. You can do that with regards to yourself. And you can do that with regards to people who are willing to stay in a conversation with you. But you can't do that with people who are offended and who have pulled the plug and who aren't getting help. And... 
are just not talking to you. You you can't you can't solve that. And you you can't you can't date a girl who's never home when you come by, right? So anyway, I just I just wanted to uh, to to point that out that I I you know this is why people use this they use this like they oh if you don't I'm gonna leave you or whatever and they think that this is it may get short term compliance it's not solving any problems and the relationship as it stood then is over maybe you can build a new one but the way that that relationship was where that is possible and the person complies or even if they leave where that's something that you can do is pull the pin on that grenade and expect things to continue as they were before that relationship is done that's certainly my thought on it um Steph uh, thank you. Um, I also uh, came to that conclusion that uh, the relationship is over. Um, and But there is one problem now. Um, he Two years ago, he had his first child, uh, which is a lovely kid. Uh, and he made me godfather. It's a tradition in our uh, country. Uh, you appoint a godfather and a godmother. And the idea is that they have special care for the child. Um, but now the relationship is over with my brother. Um, uh, but I feel that it's uh, really impossible to be godfather for that child. And I, I would like to know how would you handle that if you were godfather from a child and the relationship went broke with the parents? Well, I mean, I've, I've talked about this a number of times before, so you can look back. Uh, you can do a search through the podcast feed for that. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't figure out how to have a relationship with the children without having a relationship with the parents. I just I couldn't figure out how to do that. And so it was with great regret that I did not have a relationship with the children. Um, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't possible. And uh, maybe there's some way that you can figure that out. I certainly don't claim to have the answer for this for everyone, but that was, uh, that was how it shook out for me. And is it a good idea to communicate that with my brother to say, like, look, I can't be the godfather if we don't have a good relation. So I think it's better to fire me or I, I fire myself for the job and you could find someone who could do it. Oh, no, you have- you, he's aware of that, right? I mean, he doesn't think that you're still intimately involved if there's no conversations occurring, right? Well, he still has to uh, see that probably, but the anniversary will be very shortly. So I'm really uh, asking myself, what do I do? Uh, Will I visit them? It's a bad idea. I can send a postcard, but do I have to do that for 10 years? Uh, It's not a lot of... Yeah, but uh, I'm doubting because I think that if I, like, am not being the godfather, I think the child uh, in the future will think, look, uh, that uncle of me, he was not uh, there a lot. Uh, so I it, I don't know what to do, actually, um, because you have the child. Uh, for the brother, it's very easy. No, I'm not the godfather. But for the child, it's a person on sich. Eh? Um, it's an individual. So... Maybe even when I have a bad relationship with my brother, it could be useful to every year uh, like send a postcard and maybe later in life um, that I try to do something with the child. Um, yeah, when it becomes a puber and they don't like the parents, uh, probably then. <laughs> so maybe then I can be of value. Hmm? I, look, I think all of that is certainly possible. And, you know, with, with any luck, that is what is going to happen. Um, I, I think that... 
I think that you have the answer within you, but I think that it's going to take a lot of time. I don't think you need to figure out what to do today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Uh, I think that you need to keep sitting on this question. I think you need to keep talking it over with your therapist. You can journal about it, talk it with your friends. I think that the right course of action will come out of uh, introspection, but I don't think there's an external do this, do that, and that's going to give you your best chance. These situations, and I'm so sorry about I mean, what a, what a terrible thing to, to have to face, uh, which is the, the I mean, this, this, this situation with your brother and, and with your godchildren. I mean, it's just, just wretched, awful, and horrible. And I'm so, so sorry that you have to face it. I don't think that there's any external answer about the right course of action. I think that the right course of action is very specific to the individual and to the situation. And it's going to come out of uh, persistently and consistently figuring out how you feel and your experience out of that, I think, well, this is the only way that I've been able to come up with good decisions in really impossible situations is just to continually uh, figure out what's going on within me, to to ruminate over the history, and to get as much moral and emotional clarity as I can on the situation. I know that's a, a crappy non-answer, but I mean, that's really the best that I can do based on my experience. Uh, Steph, your answers have been uh, wonderful, so really, uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, can I ask a last question about the therapists? Um, it's the first time I've been there. I talked half, uh, one hour and a half with him, and the only useful thing he said was uh, the thing I told you, his opinion about the conflict, and it wasn't really <laughs> very useful either. Uh, so. I'm wondering, is it a good idea to change therapists the more, if you, after the first time already, or is it a better idea to do five sessions um, uh, and yeah, give him a chance? Uh, well, I, again, I, I can't answer that for you because there's a lot of complexity that goes into a therapeutic relationship. Uh, you are the consumer. And the first thing that I would do is to say to your therapist, I'm not happy with, I'm not enthralled with how the therapy session went last time. Uh, you know, bring that kind of honesty and see how your therapist uh, deals with it. Um, we did do a show a week or two ago on uh, some thoughts about how to um, uh, about how to find a good therapist, and there was, I think, some good good standards in there from myself and from some of the other listeners. So you might want to listen to that show. And if anyone knows the number, if you could type it in the chat room, then I will uh, I will uh, yowl it out. But uh, yeah, look, if you're not happy, you're not happy. You're the customer, and you should be happy. Uh, and uh, you should be satisfied with what you're getting. Uh, and if you're not satisfied, then, yeah, I certainly wouldn't press one thin dime into the hand of somebody who wasn't doing a great job, uh, particularly in stuff that is as sensitive uh, as, as all of this. So um, uh, and if you want to go back, uh, if you feel that it would be helpful to go back, then uh, I would suggest uh, go back. But the first thing that I would talk about is, is how, you know, how I felt about the last session, what I felt was missing, and see what the response was. But you're certainly under no obligation to go back uh, if you feel that uh, you could get uh, better, better therapy elsewhere. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Steph, for your answers. Uh, they have helped me a lot. Um, thank you. Oh, for it's, my... uh, sorry. The show number is, is 1716. can't believe it's four digits. Okay. 1716 is the show number if you wanted to check that out. Okay, thank you very much, Steph. You're very welcome. And uh, thank you, everybody, for the uh, the calls this week. Always an exciting. And uh, it's, you know, it's like surfing blindfolded backwards uh, through a Dali painting. Uh, it's uh, very exciting. Uh, and you guys have great and interesting questions. And thank you so much for your continued interest and support. 
uh, in this show. Uh, I really do appreciate it. We are doing some fantastic things in the realm of philosophy, and I look forward to posting. Oh, I think we're going to post the agnosticism debate um, on video in case you want to see all of the dynamic driving action of me sitting and debating. Gosh, can you imagine the visuals? Maybe we'll put some fireworks in there. But thanks, everyone, so much. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week, and I will talk to you soon.